0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. In Matthew 5-7, through Jesus tells us what the everyday life of Christians should look like in order to show Christ's kingdom to the world. He begins in the Beatitudes with overcoming our self-centeredness, our selfishness, and our self-preoccupation, calling us instead to humility. Next, he tells us that when we experience suffering caused by others' sinful failures, we're not allowed to retaliate, get mad, feel hostile toward them, or even cut ourselves off from them. Instead, we're to weep for them with sorrow. Before long, Jesus is telling us we're not to be angry, use hurtful words, or in any other way harm another's self-esteem. In fact, in every instance, we're to love others as we ourselves want to be loved. And then there's the battle with lust. And we've only hit 10% of the Sermon on the Mount so far. But this sample is enough to prove that if we want to live for Christ, we are in for one heck of a fight every single day. How can that not be when we're at war with our own sinful nature, the enticements of the fallen world around us, and with the very angels who are in league with Satan? Well, I've personally come to believe that this spiritual battle is so intense and so constant that Christian men have really only two choices. Either they will recruit a brother to help them fight, or they will unintentionally lower the bar. I've seen this principle at work in my own life. When my brother and I are praying together for opportunities to share my faith, those opportunities come and I get to share Christ. But when we're not praying like that, I simply lower the bar. And somehow thinking about the lost gets pushed aside, even though the one I say I am patterning my life after came to seek and to save the lost. What about you? Do you have a brother beside you, sharpening you, helping you fight your spiritual battles and being fruitful for the kingdom? Or if not, might you be lowering the bar? This episode looks at how Jesus' teaching and example reveal a truth that I believe men actually already know. There's a part of the masculine soul made for camaraderie that wants a brother to fight beside Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 32 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle, Marine Corps veteran Frank Broyles, in his book entitled Brothers in Arms, writes, A part of me loved war. Now, please understand, I'm a peaceful man, fond of children and animals, and I believe that war should have no place in the affairs of men. But the camaraderie of our platoon that we experienced in that war provides an enduring and moving memory in me. A comrade in war is someone you can trust with anything because you regularly trust him with your life. In war, individual possessions and advantage count for nothing. The group, the platoon, the unit is everything. A part of me loved war. You get the unmistakable impression that Broyles has never experienced that kind of tight friendship since then, yet he longs for it. We often hear athletes say, you know, there was something special about that championship team. We had great chemistry starting in training camp. There's something that clicks deep in the masculine soul in the common bond, the camaraderie formed by sweating and striving and spending ourselves together to defeat a common foe. Men's leader Stu Weber sees that same longing for camaraderie among Christian men who so often are fighting their spiritual battles alone. He writes, How can a man learn to be a man, a husband, a father, a provider and protector? a full-orbed king, warrior, mentor, and friend, by walking with other men who are doing it. You learn to play ball by playing ball. And masculinity is a team sport. You and I, as men living in a tragically disoriented culture, need to experience the life-building of what Paul called a brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. It is time that we heed the call of the high king to his high communion. It is time God's men come to his table in the round and in the company of men, drink deeply of a fresh understanding of his kingdom and just what it takes to enjoy a man's role in it. Wow, what a powerful picture. Well, believe it or not, this hunger for male connection as brothers seems to have been recognized by Jesus in both what he taught and in the way he lived. Let's take a look. First, let's note that Jesus created a band of brothers to help him accomplish his mission. Now, as we examined earlier in this six-week series, Genesis 2.15 reveals that men are created to have impact and to be warrior protectors. Jesus models this masculine calling by impacting his surroundings and fighting to advance the kingdom of God, but he does it with and through the band of brothers he forged to be with him. I want to say that again. He does it with and through the band of brothers he forged to be with him. His example and teaching tell us that Lone Ranger Christianity is not Christianity at all. It's an aberration. Our Lord's call to follow him has always been a call to be connected to others in the body of Christ. The greenhouse which Jesus chose for growing his disciples was the context of male friendship. He called 12 disciples to Be with him, Scripture says, which also, of course, meant being with each other. The twelve learned together. They served together. They lived together. At times, they failed together, and eventually they faced growing hostility together. Jesus' discipleship approach was not meeting with Peter one-on-one Monday morning for breakfast, Setting aside Monday lunch for Andrew, then meeting John for breakfast on Tuesdays, his discipleship approach was to form a band of brothers. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ includes both a vertical commitment to surrender to Jesus Christ and a horizontal commitment to connection with other brothers. This truth is irrefutable. Yet many men think they can succeed at being Christ's disciples when functionally they are not part of a band of brothers. The result is that their outward commitment to Christ looks great, while inwardly they are losing way too many battles with anger, lust, impatience, resentment toward their wives, selfishness, self-indulgence, hard-heartedness, and so forth. They are sharing their faith with no one and giving precious little thought to shaping the next generation to be devoted followers of Christ. So Jesus recognizes the masculine need for connection by choosing to build his discipleship structure as a band of brothers. Secondly, Jesus underscores this principle of male connection in the way he sent his disciples out to minister without him. Mark records, calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two, and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. You don't need a cooler full of food, a duffel bag with your personal items, extra money, or even an extra change of clothes, says Jesus. But there's one thing you do need. You do need a brother. Let's pause and think about this. When you and I think about what we need in life, we think food, clothing, shelter, and money. Jesus says, what you need is a brother. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70. And once again, it is two by two. We read, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. One reason Jesus sent them out in pairs is seen in verses 17 through 19, where Jesus makes it clear that their ministry was spiritual warfare. When it comes to fighting, God is clear. Two are better than one. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Words from Ecclesiastes 4. So Jesus sends his disciples out for spiritual battle two by two. And then thirdly, Jesus showed the importance of male connection for men by modeling friendship himself at every level, really. In fact, his life shows a continuum of three levels of depth in human friendships. This continuum matters, and here's why. No man would say he doesn't have friends. We all have enough friends to be the pallbearers at our funerals as Pat Morley would say, yet most would have to admit that they have no brother they could talk to if they found out their daughter was pregnant or their wife had threatened to leave them, and frankly, they have no brother who knows what their true spiritual battles are. In other words, few men have thought carefully about the differences between acquaintances, friends, and brothers-in-arms. Their failure to recognize these differences leaves many men with lots of friends, yet alone in their spiritual battles and not really realizing why. So let's identify these levels in Jesus' life, consider how friends move to a deeper level, and take away some truths to help us deepen whatever soul-strengthening male friendships we have. So level one might be called acquaintance. The process of letting a friend get to know us can be compared to stripping away the layers of an onion. With acquaintances, we peel off a few outer layers. We let others know our name, reveal a little bit of surface information about the number of kids we have, where we work, our hobbies, sports we love. Conversation is, by definition, superficial in nature. We don't dig our fingers into our soul yet and share too deeply what is going on. Church dynamics experts say that the maximum number of people in a church that a person will know by name is usually about 50. In Jesus' life, this level would seem to correspond to the 72 mentioned in Luke 10.1. Today Facebook has made it possible to have more friends, which really are acquaintances in this sense. We friend others, but it's a good description of what acquaintance is all about. We post pictures of our activities, humorous things that have gone viral, sometimes our politics or our faith in the hope of influencing others, and it's a good level. We're we're made to be relational beings. There's a little bit deeper level, which is biblically referred to as a friend. An acquaintance becomes a friend when we decide to peel off a few more layers. We begin to go beneath the surface of our soul. As the friendship grows, you discover common interests. You begin to share various aspects of your life, peeling off a few layers to go deeper. This is the level of closeness experienced by most couples' Bible studies. You begin to share your opinions, your values, your commitments. As the friendship deepens, layers of the onion come off easily and naturally. In John 15, 15, Jesus calls the twelve his friends. He says, "'I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business.'" Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus uses the word friends here to describe the 12 because he had taken them into his confidence. This level of friendship is enjoyable. It's about sharing common goals. And most Christian men never go deeper than this level. Consequently, they remain alone in their spiritual battles. They try to be godly men and fathers, fight the battle with lust, overeating, and overworking alone. Few have considered that Jesus modeled a deeper level of masculine connection than friendship, a special bond with Peter, James, and John. Let's look at this level. We call it level three, a bond of brotherhood. Our Lord singled out Peter, James, and John to go deeper in his friendship with them. Jesus peeled off more layers and allowed the inner three to know more of the core of his being. Scripture gives three glimpses of this deeper level friendship Jesus had with the inner three. Let's examine them and consider how we can apply what we see to our own friendships. Interestingly, one example is from his early ministry, one from the turning point at which time he turned his face toward Jerusalem, and one was from his very last night with them. So first, the healing of Jairus' daughter, Mark 5, verses 37 through 42. Early in his ministry, he was called to the bedside of the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus. He permitted only three others to go with him to the daughter's bedside, Peter, James, and John. The setting was a private one. Bereaved parents gathered around the bed of their deceased daughter, in contrast to Jesus' other healings, which were almost all public. The intimate tenderness of the scene is captured by Mark's repetition of Jesus' exact words in Aramaic, talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Jesus could have made all his disciples wait outside and experienced these intimate moments with the girl and her family alone. But instead, he invited the inner three into his intimate interaction with the family. What does that mean for us? Well, Jesus invited other brothers into his intimate interactions with others. The substructure part of our lives involves our relationships with others. Now, this was not a special relationship, but it was a kind of a personal one, an intimate one. Inviting another brother into our private world of relationships as men builds a bond with them. Right now, I meet individually every week with two brothers, one in person, one on the phone, and in both cases, the core of our prayer support for each other is our prayer for each other's wives, their spiritual battles, and especially their kids and their spiritual battles. Just this week, my brothers and I experienced a huge breakthrough in an individual's battle with self-control, a battle we've been praying about for years. A friendship moves on to this bond of brotherhood when two or more men trust each other enough to share honestly what's going on in their soul, and much of that soul activity has to do with their closest relationships. That's the point here. For example, he may share some troubling doubts he's having in his relationship with God, or perhaps his son's problem with porn, or he may open up about the problems he is having in his marriage or the painful feelings of rejection he feels from his father if things go a little deeper. He may decide to risk being honest about his daughter's drug problem or the troubling details of his poor performance rating at work. In doing so, he is taking the courageous steps required to go from a mere friendship to a real bond of brotherhood. The second example of Jesus and the inner three comes on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mark 9, 2 and following. Jesus takes only Peter, James, and John with him up the mountain where he is transfigured before them. The other disciples are not allowed to see his glory revealed. John would later write, The word became flesh and dwelt with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It was only to his most intimate friends, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus gave this momentary, unique revelation of his true identity. Now, obviously, more is going on here than deepening his friendship with the inner three. I I get that. The glory of Jesus' divine nature is revealed, a unique event in redemptive history. Nevertheless, as his friendship with the inner three grew deeper, Jesus also modeled here a second characteristic of the bond of brotherhood. He lifted the shade to let his brothers see more of his true identity. What does that mean by way of application? Well, when you forge a bond of brotherhood with other men, you begin to let them see you as you really are. For sinful creatures like us, it means that you stop putting up a front. You stop trying to impress others with your spirituality. We stop pretending that we're fine when we really aren't fine. We begin to take down the masks. We begin to let others see our weaknesses and sin. Only when the masks are down can authentic connection take place. But authentic connection only happens through building trust Trust grows as you give another a peephole into your soul and watch how that brother responds. If it is with understanding and acceptance, trust grows. And if he in turn risks rejection by allowing you to see more deeply into his soul, trust grows and both start to turn that peephole into a small window into each other's soul. There is no substitute for this process of building trust before being vulnerable about what is happening inside us. So Jesus let Peter, James, and John see more of who he really was than the other disciples. And then thirdly, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane something remarkable, Mark 14, verses 32 to 38. The third level of friendship modeled by Jesus, which we're talking about, his inner core of friends, is to stand with each other as they face their spiritual battles. As Jesus faced the cross on the night before he died, he did not go out into the wilderness alone to pray as he had so often. He did not go alone to battle Satan, as he had at the beginning of his ministry. We read, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled, and said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death Remain here and watch. Notice that he's brought the eleven to the edge of the garden, but only took his close friends, Peter, James, and John, further into the garden with him. And only then did he reveal the heart-wrenching struggle of his soul. My soul is sorrowful even unto death. He asked them to watch with him. While fighting the most severe spiritual battle of his life, whether he would obey the Father's will, which was to go to the cross, he kept coming back to his friends. Now, I'm not smart enough to know whether it's right to say Jesus needed his friend's support. After all, he was fully God as well as fully man, and the brothers he leaned on pretty much failed him. But he certainly leaned on his brothers. I know this much, on the night of Jesus' most severe spiritual battle, he wanted his closest brothers with him to lean on. And that speaks volumes about our need to have a brother beside us in our spiritual battles. What does this example mean for us? This deep-level friend can be described as a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a brother in arms, a brother who is in the battle with you, a best friend. Men can experience this level of connection only with a trusted few who have grown close over time, for it is the result of inviting your brothers to know what is happening in the core of your soul. It is a bond that is forged when you can be vulnerable enough and humble enough to begin to unzip your core inner life, not totally naked, but opening up more, and depend on your brothers to help you fight your moral, emotional, and spiritual battles. As deep support, love, and commitment grow, your band of brothers increasingly stand shoulder-to-shoulder with you, helping you fight your spiritual battles and watching your back. Can this kind of connection really happen today in the 21st century? Let me tell you a story of just a couple of months ago, where a brother contacted a couple of old Bible study friends from a men's Bible study that he used to lead. They started getting together uh, every other Saturday. And uh, started going through uh, a men's Bible study. The last time they met was just a month or so ago. And my friend said, man, I, we couldn't make it Saturday. So we had a Friday night discussion the the other two guys meeting together and I was on the phone with them. And we talked for two and a half hours. I can't believe how close we've gotten so quickly. This is awesome. And guess what? I want to get four copies of your book, Got Your Back, to give to each one of my college sons. And I'm going to challenge them to go find some Check Six brothers to have in their lives. So where are you on this continuum of friendship with men? Do you have someone beside you helping you fight your battles? Do you have anyone who even knows what your spiritual battles are? Are you finding the strength God wants you to have in brotherhood connections that get beneath the surface? If the answer is no, you might ask God to help you take the next steps towards moving out of deadly isolation and into brotherhood connections. I'm going to leave you with this final thought from a book I wrote to help men forge this kind of brotherhood connection. It's entitled Got Your Back. These are the words from that book. I still believe they're true. In today's world, the stakes are too high. The battle too fierce, the enemy too wily, the attacks too frequent, the cost of defeat too severe for any Christian man to be fighting his spiritual battles alone. summarize this episode the pleasure men find in camaraderie especially in a tough fight together as well as the example of jesus male friendships shows that men need a brother to fight beside them growing as a faithful disciple of christ is a team sport god never intended christian men to fight their spiritual battles alone yet the majority are They've failed to follow the example of their master, Jesus, who deliberately forged a special bond of brotherhood with Peter, James, and John and leaned upon them in his toughest temptation. No wonder so many of us are failing to be all we can be in Christ. We're trying to do it alone. For further prayerful thought, number one, what stood out to you in this portrait of Jesus' commitment to male friendships? See your show notes for additional questions. This week's resource highlight that I'd like to call attention to is the book I've written entitled Got Your Back? Helping Forge the brotherhood connections they need. It's available at Amazon in print, Kindle, or audio formats. This short book explains in detail the kinds of brotherhood connections that today's podcast talks about. The book is just 120 pages with discussion questions at the end of each of the nine chapters, At GotYourBack.info, you will find a two-minute trailer about the book, video clips of men helped to forge brotherhood bonds by the book, and video clips of church leaders talking about the impact of the book on the men in their churches. That's GotYourBack.info. The link is in your show notes. Next week, we continue our series, Understanding the Masculine Heart, We've seen that the masculine heart is designed to need a king to honor, a sphere of life to impact, a battle to fight, a beauty to love, a brother to fight beside. He also needs a heritage to pass on. Men want to leave something behind that lives beyond them. That, in fact, is exactly what God wants Christian men to do. Next week, we'll look at how. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to let other Christian men know about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by equipping them and inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.